Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Job chapter 1. Let's all stand, though, as we turn in our Bibles to Job chapter 1. Throwing you for a loop. I usually talk for a minute, then we read Scripture. We're going to mess you up this evening. We'll go ahead and read Scripture, then we'll talk for a minute. Job chapter 1. We're going to just be uh, beginning verse 6 of Job chapter 1, although we're going, to, uh, we're going to be scattered about a little bit in the book of Job tonight. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we stand before you and we ask that you would do what only you can do, Lord, and that is bless the reading and the teaching of your word, Lord God. God, we just lift you up because you are our Messiah, Lord God. You are our Savior. You are the name above all names, God. There is something about the name Jesus, Lord God. God, we thank you for the love that we spoke of this morning. We thank you that it comes from you, Jesus. And God, we just ask that you have your way and your will with the remainder of our time together. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Do anyone here, is, is there anyone here that enjoys suffering? Okay, just wanted to make sure. If you did, you were going to have to go work in the children's ministry for the next two weeks because this messages weren't going to be for you. But of course, no one enjoys suffering. The very word uh, of suffering has a, a negative connotation in as much as the word love that we talked about this morning had a positive connotation. So in as much as we say love and we think from a positive place and we think from a good place when we say suffering, immediately your, your brain and your mind tapped you into a place that wasn't pleasant. When I say suffering, you immediately begin to think of a time in your life when things weren't so good. You immediately go to a place where you weren't so happy. That, that in fact, is what it means to suffer, and we all know that. Uh, we don't like it. It hurts. It is gut-wrenching, and, and sometimes we don't know how we're going to get up. We don't know how we're going to move on. We don't know what we're going to do, but even though we don't like it, and even though we don't deal with it, and even though we don't want it, I think we would all agree that it is something that is very real in our lives and something that we have to address because it's not going anywhere. It always has been and it always will be, and so we may as well talk about it. And this book of Job will address suffering and we'll start to dive into the reaction of this Old Testament man to suffering 
and as we look at it in relation to our human condition. And I was once asked to summarize the book of Job in a single sentence. And, and the best sentence that I could come up with to try and summarize the book of Job is when bad things happen to good people. Quite frankly, that was kind of the best summarization of the 42 chapters of the book of Job is what happens when bad things happen to good people. And isn't that a question that we ask today? Don't we still get that question as Christians? Don't we get that question quite often? Why do bad things happen to good people? And as we look at that, we're going to explore that topic a little deeper over the next two weeks. Over the next two weeks, we'll be diving into this topic. And we'll start tonight with an overview and an introduction to the book. And we'll start to look at some major themes of the book of Job. The actual writer of the book of Job, does anybody know who the writer of the book of Job is? Guess? We don't know. Nobody knows. I was hoping you'd guess, but you didn't fall for it. Nobody knows. It's widely believed to be an Israelite scholar, probably around the days of Solomon or the days of Jeremiah in Israel when the scrolls and the words were found and they actually wrote it down and put it into the canonization. It's made up, though, of the words and stories of Job himself and possibly of his friend Elihu, who we will speak about next week just a little bit. And we believe, based on a few things, that, uh, that Job actually lived in the days of Abraham, so prior to Moses. So even though Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of that, even though Moses actually penned those down, and the book of Job is found later on in the Old Testament, Job still lived prior to those days of Moses. Job, Job lived in that day. We know that. Uh, because we see that his wealth was measured in the way that Abraham's wealth was measured. And the way they measured wealth in that day was in livestock and in servants. Job 1.3, it says it's, his wealth is measured by the things that he has. Uh, he acted, in Job 1.5, we see Job acting as a priest for his family. It says that he went to God continually on behalf of his family. So he, he would go to God. And so his family had grown up and he had boys and they had their own homes on the farm. And, and Job was worried that they would fall into sin and they would fall into these things. So Job continually on their behalf would act as their priest. And when we talked about the priest and, and what Jesus did becoming our high priest, we said, what does the priest do? Well, the priest in the Old Testament was the one that went between Sinful man and holy God. They were the go-between there. The prophet went from God and spoke to man, and the priest was from man. As he tried to reconcile to God, he was the go-between. And so Job acted as that go-between, which is what they did in the days of Abraham, is the, the patriarch of the family, the man of the family, would act as the priest for the family in that time. The rating of the tribes in chapter 1, verse 15 and 17 fit historically also with that time frame. So here's what I want us to know. I said all that to make a point, I promise, not just so you'd have a history lesson, though some of you enjoyed the history lesson. We don't really know who wrote the book of Job. We think we know about when he lived, but we don't know for sure. And it doesn't matter. Quite frankly, when it was written, when exactly he lived, uh, what his nationality was, what the exact geographical spot uh, of his land was in Uz, which if you look at a map is not to be seen, Uz, we don't know where it's at. But it doesn't matter. What matters 
is that Job was a man who was faithful, who was just, and who suffered, and who endured. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, because we sometimes get so caught up on what we don't know. On, well, I don't know who wrote it. I can't concentrate on anything else, because... We don't really know who wrote it. Well, I can't concentrate on this because I don't really know that. But at the end of the day, with what we're looking at in the book of Job, it really doesn't matter. So let's look at more of the overall picture of the book of Job. And so the seemed purpose of this book is kind of trying to lend to the question of suffering with a differing perspective than what would have been widely accepted at that time. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and he was blameless and upright and feared God and shunned evil. And so what we see right off the bat is Job was a good guy. He was a godly man. He did what was right in the eyes of God. He tried to shun evil. He lived his life blameless and upright. And so the question we're looking at is what happens when good people, those that fear God, those that shun evil, those who seemingly do what they're supposed to do, how do we reconcile that within ourselves when they suffer? How do we deal with that when suffering happens to people that are, that are seemingly good? And if we're being honest, we struggle with that in our spirit now, don't we? Don't we look at things now and go, it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel, I don't, you know, I, I can think of times in my life where, where I've gone through something and I've looked at it and I said, of all the times in my life for me to deal with that, why was it now when I got on the right track? Why did, why did, I could understand if my suffering had happened when I was living a godless life. I could understand if my suffering had happened when I was living in rebellion to God knowingly, but I don't understand why once I got on track, suffering began. I don't understand, God, why things started hurting so bad when I just seemed to turn the corner and get on the right page. I just started going to church. I just started a prayer life. I just started a Sunday school class. I just started reading my Bible. I just started all of these things for you, God, and now it seems like the suffering is coming. We struggle to say why, why God and we've all seen it in someone else's life haven't we we've all looked at it and we said I don't understand he or she they live such a godly life and I don't understand why they're suffering and it just doesn't feel right to us and the thing is that question it's always existed since the beginning of time if God is good and God is powerful, then why does he allow these things to happen to seemingly good people? We could all somewhat get on board if it happened to somebody that was a real jerk, couldn't we? We wouldn't mind seeing a little suffering happen to them, but when it happens to people that are good, we go, well, I don't understand that. And when it was originally questioned... Then people would say, well, well if, if God is all-powerful, then why didn't he stop it? If he could see it coming and he had the power to stop it, then why didn't he? And if God is just or if God is always righteous, then why, would he, why does he punish people and allow these things to happen? He must not be just if these things happen because uh, he's got a demonic streak. He's got a bad streak. He likes to, to play the evil puppeteer if he lets these things happen and he has the power to stop it humans are, are good you know it happened to a it happened into a good person and the problem with that is we know that God is all-powerful we know that God is 
just. We know, though, according to Scripture, that no man is good, right? If we, if we really look at it scripturally, no matter how good our opinion of someone is, they're really not good from a sin condition standpoint. They have a human nature, so we can throw that out. And in the Old Testament, they, they didn't question in this day whether God was all-powerful. They fully believed in an all-powerful God. They would never have doubted God. And so what they come up with was that the problem must have been man. If you were suffering, you did something to deserve it. God was doling out the just punishment in your life for what you had done. And that was the popular theology in Job's day, and it was the popular theology when Jesus walked. Right? How many times... Uh, we see the battle between the Pharisees and Jesus, this, the standoff there after he healed the blind man. Because the Pharisees said, this, man has been, this man's been sick from birth, and so what did your parents do, or what did your grandparents do that you would be sick? They said, if this man is blind, if there's a weakness, if there's a suffering going on, then it's bound to be, it's bound to be a punishment for sin. But what did Jesus say? Jesus went on to say, it's not what his parents, it's not what his grandparents did. This man is blind that I might be glorified in this moment. This man has suffered his entire life because I am fixing to do something to blow your mind. I am fixing to make this man see and when I'm done I'm going to call you a brood of vipers and I'm going to offer the gospel of me to you one more time but you're not going to accept it. And so this man has not suffered because of his grandparents' sin. This man has suffered that I might be glorified. As Jesus strolled up to Bethany with his friend Lazarus laying in the grave, what did he say to his disciples before he went, though? He said, this sickness is not unto death, but that the Son of Man would be glorified. He said, this suffering that the family is enduring is for my glory. And so the theology that when we suffer, we're somehow being punished. When we read the New Testament, we go, well, that don't make any sense. But how many times do we live our lives that way, though? How many times do we look at our situation and our life and our suffering and we go, God, why? What did I do to deserve this? What did I do this is what's happening to me. What did I do that you would bring this on me? What did I do that these things would go on? And so the book of Job, we start to see Job and, and the writer, and I think what, what's happening is a story is being told, and at the same time, a mindset is being challenged to suffering as we look into this. They're kind of suffering the whole mind, challenging the whole mindset of suffering for someone who is just in that day. And the first truth that we're going to look at is introduced to us in chapter 1. And it began in verse 6, and we read that earlier. And what we're going to see is that Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. The first five verses of Job chapter 1 basically paint us a picture of the happiness and the goodness of Job before our story begins, basically. All they really establish for us is, is that Job was a wealthy man, Job was a devout man. Job was a good man. Job had a good family. Job had a good thing going. And Job was probably very happy. In that time, he would have accomplished everything that a man set out to accomplish in that time in his life. He would have gotten it done. And then in verse 6, we see, though, a gathering before the Lord. And Satan appears. And God's, what are you doing here, basically? And Satan says, I've been walking to and fro in the world. 
And the Lord mentions Job to him. And then Satan then does what he seeks to do so often to us. And that is he attempts to drive a wedge between man and God. And he asks a question that we will look to answer as we go through this. And that question is kind of a theme throughout the whole book of Job. Is God so good that he can be loved for who he is only and not for the blessings he gives? Is God so good that he can be loved for who he is alone and not for the blessings that he gives us? And the question it asks of man is, can man hold to God when it seems that the benefits are gone? Can man hold fast to God when it seems that the benefit for doing so is gone? And how, how does Satan cause this question? How does Satan do that? He says to God, well, of course Job is upright. Of course Job is, is blameless. Of course Job tramps around on that big ranch saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Of course that is the reaction of Job. You have given him everything, God. Of course this man seems blameless. Why wouldn't he? Because by praising you, you keep giving him stuff. But I bet if you stopped giving him stuff, that he'd stop praising you, God. God, I don't think this worship is genuine, is, is what the Satan's really saying. He said, I don't think this man's worship is genuine for who you are. It's, it's for what you give him. So in verse 1, Job, we saw, was a good man. And by the end of the chapter, he's losing everything, including his children. Buildings collapse on top of his children. He loses everything in the span of a chapter. And I don't know about you guys, but I would classify that as suffering. I don't know, I don't know what suffering you've endured, but I would classify losing everything as suffering on this earth. And, and it makes us look at Satan and we realize that Satan is quite a powerful adversary, isn't he? I mean, in, in terms of the one that battles against us, he's pretty tough. I mean, he, he went and had the, uh, had the gumption to stand before God and say, Job doesn't worship you for who you are. He worships you for what you give him. Take his stuff away and he'll stop. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says that Satan is powerful enough that he afflicted him. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul calls Satan the God of this world. John 10, 10 says that he is a thief sent to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Ephesians 2, 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. Make no mistake, Satan is quite a powerful adversary. And he's been going about wreaking havoc in the lives of sinful men for a very, very long time. But you know, in our churches today and in our lives, I think we give old Satan just a little bit too much credit from now and, now and again. We say things like, uh, and it's all well-intentioned. If you've said these things, I'm not saying you've done it wrong because I have said these things from the pulpit before, not thinking really of what I was saying, but... Someone gets saved, and we look down to them, and we say, boy, you better watch out. Now Satan's going to be on the attack. Satan, he's coming hard for you now, brother. We say things to each other like, boy, Satan, he's been on me this week. Satan's been on the attack, something fierce. 
And I thought about that in, in my study time this week as I reflected on how powerful Satan was. And I'll tell you what I caught myself doing. I, I caught myself sitting at my desk thinking about how powerful Satan was. And I got down. I got way down in the dumps because I thought, man, Satan's got a lot of power. He's got enough power to go to God and, and ask to wreak havoc on Job's life so he can do it on my life as well. Satan, whew, Satan's tough. And then suddenly, though, God spoke to me kind of in that voice that you get when you're doing something stupid and you know you shouldn't, that, that fatherly voice that God reveals something to you. And he said, uh, why do you care what Satan did? Because I'm in control of all this anyway. Why are you giving Satan so much credit? I've already kicked him in the teeth. I've already defeated him. I've already put him in his place. He don't, got a, he don't got an ounce of power. He ain't nothing special. He's just Satan. He's out to tempt you. But if you'll hold fast to me, I'll deliver you. And so Satan, yeah, he's, he's a powerful adversary. Let's, let's not forget that we recognize him, but let's recognize him more in the way Paul recognized him when he walked into the island and he said, he said Satan, get behind me. And he began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and people began to get saved. And it was firmly because when Paul walked in and he saw the demonic presence, he looked at it in the eye, he recognized what it was and he said, you don't have the power to do anything in this place anymore. You don't have the control in this situation. And I fear too often when we do things like, well, you watch out for Satan, you watch out for Satan. Why don't we say something along the lines of you cling fast to God? If you'll just hold fast to your relationship with God, it don't matter how tough Satan is because he can't beat God. If he could beat God, we wouldn't be here today reading from this Bible because Jesus would still be in a tomb somewhere over in a hole in Jerusalem. But he couldn't beat God. So Jesus kicked the tomb open, walked out, went to heaven, hangs out, watches over, and saved every one of us. So Satan, we don't need to talk about the power of Satan as if it's something that we can't conquer. We just need to talk about the power of Satan in a respectful manner so that we know our enemy. I don't want to go into battle where I don't know the strength of my enemy, but I don't want to be so scared of their strength that I refuse to battle either because Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. He's not all-powerful. I want you to realize as you look through those verses, and we're not going to go back and read them all again for the sake of time, but what power did Satan really get throughout this whole book? You're not going to see him get any power that God didn't give him. He didn't get to go attack Job first. He had to go to God and say, what can I do? And God said, go try Job out. Go try Job out. And so Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Let us also recognize that the suffering is very real. Let's recognize the suffering that it is very real. There are those preaching today and standing in churches that don't want to take notice of this truth for Scripture, but suffering is very real, and it still happens to Christians. It, it still happens to people that love God. There, there is still suffering for those who, who call Jesus their Savior. Satan goes to work on Job, and as he suffers... And he loses and he hurts. Job gets to the point that the pain is so bad 
that in chapter 3 we see that Job curses the very day that he was born. In verse 11 of chapter 3 he says, Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not die? The pain that Job was feeling was so bad... I want you to think about this with me. The pain that Job felt was so bad that he found it to have been better if he had been born and immediately died. He said, it would have been better that I just died on the day of my birth than that I would have had to endure all of this pain. He finishes the chapter of 3 up with a lament and he says, I have no rest for the trouble that comes. No rest for the trouble that comes. Many of you this evening can relate to that very thing that I'm saying. You've lost things, you've lost people that you've loved, people that you were close to, people that, that you didn't think would be gone so soon, and it hurts, and it still hurts, and it's going to hurt. And you didn't know where the relief would come from, and you, you've cried your tears, and you've begged for your mercies, and you've asked, why, God, why? I thought that... I thought that once I gave my life to Jesus that we ate lollipops and sang kumbaya all the time and everything was good. So why are bad things still happening? That preacher on television held that microphone up real high and smiled real big and said, give your life to Jesus and you name it and claim it and you'll be wealthy beyond all understanding. This is not true. The theology of suffering says that we are going to suffer. It's going to happen. And it's very real. It hurts really bad. And in all of the years, what short as they are now of ministry, but all the mentors that I've met with, none of them have ever told me that magic sentence that you tell somebody when they're hurting that makes their pain go away. I'm sorry. I can hug you. And I can love you. I can cry with you. I can't take the pain away because the suffering is very real. But let us recognize that God is all-powerful. His children still suffer, but it is for His glory. So what do you mean, preacher? Suffering is for the glory of God? Yes. Satan asks the question of God and of man when he talks to him. He says, you take the stuff away from Job, and, and I bet he won't praise you anymore. I bet that isn't real. And I want you to realize that God at that point in time, there was a question that had been asked and God had to answer that question. It had to be dealt with. It had to be addressed. Yes, God is powerful enough to say, Satan, shut up and get out of this meeting. I kicked you out of heaven. You're not welcome here. But more, he said, go and test Job because you're going to find that I am good enough that my children do love me even when the blessings aren't there. Next week, we're going to get to see the, the end a little bit of Job's suffering. And we're going to see just how mightily God is glorified at the end of the suffering. But I want us to look at one thing as we leave here this week. 1 Peter 4 and 12, it says, Do not be surprised of this fiery ordeal. So don't be surprised of this trial that you're going through. Don't be surprised about this suffering that you're dealing with. And he goes on in verse 16, he says, If you suffer as a Christian, then you should praise God that you bear the name of Christ. You should praise God that you suffer 
with that name. Scripture teaches us that we are to look to Jesus to strengthen us and that we are to learn to depend on him and that in those fiery trials, that is where we learn to cling to Jesus. That is where we learn the truth of the scripture that he will provide a peace that passes all understanding, that he will be glorified in the situation. How do we endure persecution? How do we endure suffering? We do it as Christ did it. And how did Christ do it when he walked on this earth? He endured the suffering looking to glorify the Father with it. He endured the cross, the suffering of the cross. He endured that he might glorify the Father. And with us and as with Job, we're going to see that we, we, when we endure the suffering, when we remain faithful, that God changes us from who we were to who we're going to be. He's moving us in the storm from where we were to where he needs us to be. We just have to learn to praise him in the storm. We just have to learn to endure with faith. We have to learn to cling fast to God. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to go ahead and cheat a little bit. And we'll cover it next week a little more. You look through the whole book of Job, and despite the fact that he would curse the day of his birth that he would say had been better that he died he'd cursed the situations that were going on he lamented but he never would curse God he never would curse God and the end the end for Job is is good by the way it's a good ending if you haven't read it the same can be said for each and every one of us Jesus says that our suffering is for his glory I'm going to give you a little quiz as we finish. Why are we here? We've been through this in about 47 different messages. Why are we here on this earth? To glorify God. So if we're here to glorify God, and our suffering can be for His glory, then let us praise Him through our storms. I'm not saying... Be that crazy person that says, well, I wish I could suffer just a little bit more. I'm saying while you're in that storm, get down on your knees. There's a, there's a song, down on my knees, I learned to stand and I can't even walk without you holding my hand. And when we realize that, that is when God is glorified in our storms. When we realize that we can't anymore and we turn it all over to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we just thank you. God, we thank you for the old writings from the book of Job. We thank you that we can see something that we can feel in our own lives, and that is the suffering of your servant Job. Because we endure suffering, God. We endure suffering, and we, it makes us ask the question, why, God, does something bad have to happen to someone who's trying to do good, God? God, when we look at the truth of Scripture, we see that even in the death of Lazarus, you were glorified as you called him forth. Even in the man living blind for a lifetime, you were glorified when you healed him with your word. And even in our lives today, God, when we turn to you, you will be glorified in our suffering as well. And you will deliver us. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us, Lord God. 
God, we praise you for that. If there be one here that needs to lay a burden at your feet this very evening, you give him the courage and the conviction to come and do so at your altar. God, we thank you and we praise you for all you do. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.